Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday mornings for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Getting ready for Hanukkah, huh? Sunday night. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll get the real big buildup. Yeah, big <laughs> big buildup is right, especially in Israel. Apparently, they've been, I mean, it was great to see it when I was there, how they're basically uh, displaying and eating donuts for the entire month of Kislev, and that's the way it should be done. Uh, all right, uh, let's start with the New York Times, as much as I don't like doing that. Uh, in this era of... Um, uh, in this atmosphere, I should say, of anti-Semitism, uh, of people freely uh, feeling that they can um, uh, condemn and make public statements against the Jewish community, etc. So the New York Times has this article this week, which a lot of people are outraged about, again, about the educational system among the quote-unquote ultra-Orthodox community. Is, was the article a big problem, Malcolm, or is it only because of this trend that the New York Times has uh, embarked on years ago? Is it, is it the trend that's the bigger problem in this whole thing? I think it's both. The trend is only a reflection of what they're publishing. And from what I've heard just in the last 24 hours, there are another 10 articles in, that they're working on. This is going to be a multi-year commitment on their part. And uh, it is the most amazing demonstration of bias that one can imagine in the newspaper and that they can get away with it almost with impunity, is, is incredible. And that despite the protests and people say that people should go to the Times, they're, they're completely indifferent to it. And it's, it's um, you know, you can't even boycott it anymore because very few people get a, a subscription to it. Right. And, you know, they operate uh, with little impunity and it's, it's disgusting. You know, there's room for criticism and there's legitimate criticism in, in this regard, but that, uh, that, that may be found. But none of this is, uh, is legit. This is clearly a campaign, and uh, I, I don't know at this point what the community can do. I mean, people can pick it there. They don't care. They like it, and, and I would say even that it uh, draws attention to them. I mean, you remember practically every encounter between the Jewish community and the New York Times uh, in recent memory. I mean, ha has it always been this way, or is it only recently that this indifference has uh, been displayed by them? that they're demonstrating. I wish where they were indifferent and just leave us No, alone. but I'm, I'm saying when Jewish <laughs> leaders or organizations react I, I to it, you're, you're, you're saying that now they just don't care. Was there a time when, they, when it actually worked, when it actually helped, when you could sit down with them and have a discussion? At times. Uh, and you wouldn't, they would never make a concession on the moment, but they would, you know, you would see some change in tenor, but their coverage, whether it's Israel, whether it's uh, Jewish communities, whether it's other things, uh, and it's being fed uh, by people as well, that um, and this indifference I don't remember. But it's generally, it's the media as a whole. I mean, yeah. the level of anti-Semitic stuff that we see in the Internet and many other places, so periodically somebody is dropped uh, or censored. But by and large, look, you even see uh, Elaine Luria, who, who was leaving Congress, you know, accuses some of her comments, uh, her colleagues in Congress of peddling anti-Semitic uh, dual loyalty uh, tropes and uh, I mean for somebody leaving Congress a Democrat by the way and uh, she said you know that she got up the first time as a Jewish woman to speak out against anti-semitism uh, and the alarming rise of it but she said it's even reared its ugly head among our colleagues in talking about it within Congress and and you know so there there's no area that seems to be immune to it 
And the New York Times is feeding this in, in really terrible ways. And it, it's not something that will go away. People who say they dismiss it, it isn't. It gets part of the currency and it becomes a le- legitimating thing for some of the haters whether, from whatever group they come from to uh, to use. That's funny because last, last week you and I were discussing the uh, uh, this whole issue of you know Congress still being friendly environment for our community and for Israel, etc. And I'm not suggesting that in general it's not, but just to hear what you're saying in terms of what's happening even there is pretty scary. And if you look at just in the in the last couple of days the incidents that have taken place, and you see the distortion in coverage, the misrepresentations. First of all, about domestic affairs is one thing where they won't identify the perpetrator or uh, often, um, but the the, um, the you know the family of a, of a dead Palestinian activist, Nizar Banat, um, went uh, to the ICC, the International Criminal Court, against. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I apologize. I, I didn't know I was getting musical accompaniment. Just, 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 a, just a computer restarting. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so Nizar Banat, his uh, family is went to the to the Hague to the ICC and accuses seven Palestinian officials of responsibility for killing him while he was in police custody, and. Um, and that there was um, a total indifference uh, to it, and he had been beaten, according to the postmortem, on the head, the chest, the neck, so all over his body, and with less than an hour elapsing before his arrest and his death. So, and they got no. But you don't. Do you see the headlines? Do you see anything like near the coverage of the, the reporter or the or other instances? And and uh, similarly, we've seen it in. Um, the murder of, uh, of uh, one of the members of the United Nations interim forces in Lebanon. And the world turns a blind eye to it. He was killed in clear, uh, whether it was assassination or uh, intent. They, they're claiming uh, Hezbollah was claiming it was uh, what he called an unintentional incident that led to the death of this uh, Irish soldier on the peacekeeping uh, troops that are in, in southern Lebanon, not because they're effective, and they usually work together with the Hezbollah. But it's such an imbalance, and there's so much distortion in this that it's it's too blatant to overlook. I was going to ask you about that incident. I, I, now I understand why uh, Israel wasn't blamed or, or assumed that they were responsible for it, because it's clear that, in fact, it was the enemy who was uh, responsible for it. Um, I didn't realize. Well, it was lo- locals who were shooting at this uh, at them in an armored vehicle, and it rolled over. And there are cell phone videos that were shown online, um, and it shows one of the two vehicles speeding to leave the area while it was being shot at. Right. So there's no question about the origin and the nature of the attack. Right, but whenever you see. You know, something happening with something having to do with the U.N. on the border of Israel. That was my first inclination. I'm glad you cleared that up. All right, we should talk for a moment. Uh, I am assuming just like you would encourage dialogue and would encourage, you know, protests that hopefully would not fall on indifferent ears. Um, there is a uh, uh, a rally. There's a uh, an anti. Uh, I guess we'd call it an anti anti semitism rally. It's called Shine a Light on Anti Semitism, happening in Times Square this coming Monday, the second night of Hanukkah at 5 p.m. in Times Square, Broadway, and 47th Street. Lots of sponsoring organizations. I, I'm I'm assuming that that you and other Jewish leaders would only encourage people to come out to something like that. 
Yeah, we're very involved. It's, uh, we support the event. It's very important. It's taking place in different cities across the country, and a number of quite a number of organizations have joined behind it. Uh, they did it last year for the first time, and uh, as you see, the the it's also a vehicle to to get a message out to people generally, um, and the um, you know it's very important that there be a good turnout. A hundred percent. I also want to mention, and I know this is in the future and we'll have a chance to talk about it, but someone pointed out to me that on November the 18th, there were two people arrested at Penn Station after one of them posted threats to attack a shul the next day. And apparently one of them is still being held in jail and the other one was released without bail. And on February the 1st, there's going to be a courtroom date for them uh, uh, on Center Street near City Hall at the Criminal Court Building. So again, if people can set aside some time to actually attend that, that's important as well, right? I think it's important, and I think when you have guys, uh, judges, taking actions as they did to release somebody back into the community where he was carrying out the attacks or alleged uh, attacks, um, uh, maybe picketing the the judge and you know, and where he is or where he lives or where his office is or something, as long as they're peaceful and and uh, constructive. I think we have to start exposing those who, who are doing this revolving door justice. We see some of the officials now are backing off of it and and recognize that it's a threat not just to our community but to every community. But it's it's simply outrageous that, that this could happen. And by the way, I want just one on the other subject, sure. you know, that the the, the um UN ambassador is, is gonna show um proof that most of the Palestinian miners who were killed uh, are, are, are were all people with ties to terrorist group. It's like the lawsuit that Al Jazeera is bringing over the killing of the reporter and the person that quote eyewitness turns out to be a member of the terrorist organizations. And that's a credible visit, uh, uh, presenter, and and it, it permeates everything. And, and when the UN calls the death of a Palestinian shocking. I mean, they don't have a clue. They don't understand. They don't go into the information. This is about Jana Zakarneh, who was uh, on a Janine uh, rooftop, but it was standing next to terrorists who were shooting. And this is, um, and, and with the daily attacks that have been taking place and, and more than 20 Israelis killed uh, in attacks this year, you know, it makes it all the more outrageous. And when there's anti-Semitic attacks here, and we have to be careful because sometimes, as, as a recent case, it was actually some Jewish youth who were engaged in some mischief that resolved uh, that ended up in in a perception of a of an anti-Semitic attack. Boy. But most of them are, and and we have to be responsive to it. Boy, that uh, episode ta- about the rooftop takes the term "human shield." Uh... Uh, to, to another degree, you know, it's one thing when they're when they're you know utilizing school buildings and hospitals and and forcing Israelis to decide whether to bomb those areas. But when they're literally standing next to kids, right? When they're literally carrying out their terrorist operations next to kids. It, and, and, and if I could just add yes, to it that, that there's another study that just came out. The IDF just released showing that terror that the organization something that won't be new to you or your audience, but to most people that three schools. Are, are with over a thousand students in Hamas territory. They it, intentionally put there the, the rocket launchers, and they releasing the photos showing the installation of the rocket launchers. After you know, we hear all the defenses of the schools in in uh, and that uh, you know UNRWA 
and I heard even from UN officials in the, in the last uh, two weeks, and this, it's ridiculous. The only good news we have is the removal of Iran from the Commission on uh, Yeah, by uh, the way, on, on when did the UN get a little bit of a backbone? <laughs> it, or was that you know just, what? You... Sometimes it becomes too blatant that even the UN can't uh, can't justify ignore it? Oh, but come and on. justify it. But, but it would never... When the women are doing the demonstrations and all of this stuff, it's unbelievable. Oh, so it's not for what's going on in Iran now with the quote-unquote, you know, women's part of the revolution. It may not have happened. It may, they may not have rescinded it. Uh, they haven't. They didn't do it before that, and we right. protested every year. Look, look what, and look how they mistreated women and all the right. restrictions and everything. That's a good point. And right. you know, and they didn't do it. But when they publicly execute an innocent guy and and they hung him from a crane again, from a crane, so you know, in such blatant disregard for any standard, and they, they claim that he allegedly stabbed two members of the power military force. Um, and, during uh, because of the the forces killing the protesters, um, I mean he was arrested and he's one of thousands, maybe tens of thousands who are have been arrested from the demonstrations, and it's already the second uh, uh, murder uh, execution of somebody from the demonstrations. But more than 500 people were executed in Iran this year, which is the highest of any country in the world. Hello, where are the reports? Where 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 do we see? the support that should be going to all these people who are risking their lives constantly demonstrating speaking up well the one and, this, this the one this week was just horrifying and and there was some media coverage of it and i wondered i i asked you a similar question last week i'm so curious about it does it deter the protesters because of the fear or does it does it, does it in, uh, encourage them like what is their reaction to it encourages more demonstrations they have not been able to to you know you know it's, it's very well paced the demonstrations and the authorities have not been able to wipe it out. Even though the besiege and others have been more active, the warnings are more blatant. The actions, uh, as we see in this case, they think that this is going to deter it. They're making a mistake, and you know they, the people can't pick their own lawyers, and they don't see the evidence against them in the cases. Uh, I mean, we could spend the whole show talking about just the violations of law and and the. Um, uh, the, the the nature how they in, introduce religious messages and, and undertones to the prosecutions uh, of these people. This is um, and then they make up the stories that they were engaged in all sorts of uh, terrible uh, activities. But to, to hang somebody like this and to um, be engaged in these activities, there's no deterrence from them. From I, them. I, I mean, I, we I, don't see the West rising. In, in defense of these people, even though some more in the U.S. has made some better statements, but still, it's, it's nowhere near what we should be doing. That's why I wonder, and you speak to some of these leaders, I wonder what they would say their end game is, meaning the protest leaders. And without that great support of the West, I, I, I wouldn't say they're being completely ignored, but you described it well, you know, this lukewarm support of the West. You know, is, is that goal even achievable? What would they say is the end game, by the way? They're looking for a full revolution? What are they looking for? Ultimately, regime change. And that some of them say it, but they don't say it outright because then it will be termed to be a revolution against the government. Right. So this way they're demonstrating for their rights. The women have been leading the fight and there will be some adjustment. But the reports, as I said, I think last week when the first report came out about disbanding the, the, the uh, morality police who were blamed for the death of the woman, the original 
that, but it, it, it is uh, it is not true. They didn't disband it. They may reorganize, but they they continue to press and to to con- the, the processes have continued in every way, and um, uh, and the 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 nature of the response now and rallying the people, saying that this is a war against Allah and, the, and all the things that they're uh, they're doing, uh, and the fact that they're reverting back to this kind of a public execution um is uh is they're they're misreading the crowd yeah hard not to uh, agree with that um what's the significance of the well significance i get the significance because you always want to bring people to justice who are responsible for murder uh but uh, all these years later the lockerbie bombing of 1989 now has a suspect that's being held uh, by american authorities what can you tell us about how the United States pulled this off this week? Well, they've known this guy and they've uh, traced him for all the years. They finally were able to arrest him in Tunisia and Libya. And, um, uh, you know, there's no statute of limitations, I think, when it comes to this kind of a murder or terrorist attack. And and it's a message just to, to the terrorists that, you know, they may get away for a while, but ultimately they'll be caught and justice will be served. You know, and too many countries today don't, and too many people don't take it seriously. By the way, when when we talk about arrests, you saw that Turkey arrested, despite the charm offensive going on now, 44 people, and they claim that they were involved with the Mossad, although none of them are Israelis. They, uh, most of them are, are Turkish citizens, and some were private detectives, and a head of a detective firm um, whose, whose name was purely a Turkish name. And the arrests were, were supposedly because they were shadowing Palestinians and pro-Palestinian organizations. And, the, the um, and, you know, we know that these things tend to be completely sham arrests and they, they go after political opposition. They can use it uh, to rally the people. Um, and, and it shows that, uh, you know, they're saying that this is a statement by them. That despite the warming relations, you can't act against Palestinians inside Turkish territory. Well, maybe it's because they went after Hamas or because of Israeli pressure. Um, you know, you remember the case of the, the Israeli couple last year that were arrested for taking a picture outside one of the palaces, and they were right. ultimately released. But forty-four uh, is a big number. When I saw that, I was like, "Wow!" Yes, you know, that's it is a, a big number. That's like, a, that's so like an entire. I'm sure they have long lists <laughs> that's of enti- people there waiting. That's an entire spy network. But I mean, <laughs> the fact that none of them are Israeli is interesting and quite telling. And I'll tell you one other thing, which. Um, I think you were alluding to, and that's, uh, you know, Erdogan being very concerned about his political opponents and those, you know, within the uh, political scene that are rising that could, in fact, you know, unseat him one day, right? I mean, he's paranoid about that. So I, I, I guess one of the things he's doing is making sure to arrest those who, you know, could get in his way. I, I, never, really, I never really associated one story with the other. Are, are they two related? Which two? That he's worried about, you know, political opponents, and at the same time, you know, arresting people on false charges. Yes. So they of are course. they are related. In other words, anyone who he feels is a threat, it's going to be on that list of forty-four. And they'll find guises under which under which to do it. But right. you know, you won't see the uh, lengthy analysis in the media, except by some of the think tanks and some of the specialists who expose uh, 
these kind of things, you know, and the discrimination that goes on inside uh, many countries. There's an interesting uh, report that came out that um, shows that the only country where the Christian community is increasing is Israel, the only one. And the population grew by one and a half percent in 2020 because they have religious freedom. And they were, and 84% of the Christians in Israel say they're satisfied with their life there. In Syria, the Christian population of 1.7, 10 years ago, is less than half a million now. And in Iraq, there were 1.5 million. There's less than 10% of that today. So it's ridiculous. You saw so even in Beit Lechem, the Christian percentage went from 84 to 28%. Where's the coverage? Where's the no, no, noting the the positive story that uh, the growth of the community in Israel, let alone covering the fact that uh, 3,000 Palestinian children had heart operations in Israel at the expense of the Israeli government, 3,000 uh, in the, um, the special heart program that uh, has been really remarkable, also kids from other countries uh, as well. You know, the positive stories just don't get the the notice even the UAE and Israel signing the free trade agreement got some coverage, but hardly reporting that the trade is already at $2 billion and, and growing. Is Israel the only country where the Jewish population is growing as well? It is probably <laughs> the only the- country. I mean, we certainly see that in Europe, uh, Jewish communities aren't growing. And overall in America, the birth rate amongst Jews is not replacement uh, except in the in the Orthodox uh, sectors, and in the the um, birth rate in Israel in all sectors continues to rise, and it's uh, it's really quite a remarkable statement on the part of people who are not even necessarily conscious of it, but they have the highest birth rate amongst the developing countries. You know, speaking of miracles, by the way, and I know that Hanukkah is a good time to talk about miracles. Just give me uh, 30 seconds on this. Yesterday, someone calls me from Israel panicking that he's on the road and will not make a minion from Mincha. And his wife next to him says, you know what's going to happen? We're going we're gonna to be driving, and in a few minutes, it's going to be sunset, and there'll you know, probably be people somewhere near us trying to form a minion. Anyway, a few minutes later, right before Shkia, there are 30 people on the side of the road making a minion for Mincha. And I'm saying to myself, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. This whole state of Israel thing is a miracle. The fact that this is happening in the state of Israel is a miracle. I know, I know that I'm overreacting to a pretty simple story, but I think you get my point. It's not simple at all. It's absolutely, and we should celebrate all these things and point it out. You know, if, if they think Hashem, there's, there's some deficiency, they they all jump on it. But that's true. It is something to be uh, to celebrate. To be celebrated, especially as we start the holiday of miracles this coming Sunday night. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Please support our year-end campaign by going to fjbunity.org. Again, please support our year-end campaign by going to fjbunity.org and be as generous as possible. So it seems the Ben and Jerry's thing is decided. All the details are not being released, but it seems that in Israel, uh, in Judea and Samaria, both to Jews and Arabs, they'll be able to continue selling Ben and Jerry's. And as you said last week, uh, I, we're not 100% sure why the entire Jewish world went crazy about this issue, but thank God uh, there was a reaction that got a positive result, right? That is right. And it is an important um, uh, statement to the business community, the Ben and Jerry's case, because you're dealing with Unilever, which is a multi-billion dollar 
uh, or trillion dollar company. And the fact that they took the, stand, the position and have pursued it despite the lawsuits from Ben and Jerry's board of directors and their, you know, over the sale under the Israeli licensees uh, of, of uh, packaging with Hebrew and, and Arabic uh, word, letter, words, right. um, and that he's going to be able to continue is a victory. Government formation. Uh, are we closer to, in fact, having a full-fledged government in Israel? Ever closer, but it's um, taking much longer than predicted. Many people thought it would be easy because, you know, everybody, it's a right-wing government. And, I mean, there's no parties there that were expected to be problematic. But everybody knew that there would be haggling. And Netanyahu has to deal with outside pressures uh, from the U.S., from Europe, from everywhere about some of the members of of the government. But... Uh, as he said this week, you know, they, they've toned down their comments and that power, you know, people, you know, imposes responsibility. And once you're in power, you can, you don't do and say the same things that you do when you're outside, when you're not held to account in the same way. And, and Netanyahu, as I said on the show, the last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, he will <laughs> remain in control. He will, you know, that, that no matter what, he's going to, he keeps the defense ministry, the foreign ministry, the dairy and, and finance will, will work with him. Um, and the big, the most sensitive issue is obviously about the police. And, and you're not going to just institute radical change in policies. There will be some changes. There will be some things, and that's what happens when you elect a new government. If we do the same thing here, and we do it in any democracy, when new governments come in, they remain committed to principles. And and I, you know this whole campaign that Israeli democracy is dying. It's a democratic election. Of course, right. nobody can test right. that. When you say with power comes responsibility, and most people adjust accordingly, um, that was not exactly the case with a recent election here in the United States. We all thought that there would be responsibility or, or more responsible rhetoric from the White House after someone takes power. It doesn't always happen. I mean, you're right. I think you're right in this case in Israel. It is, you know, the needle's moving in that direction, but it doesn't always happen. But let's hope. And, and not in every election does somebody get elected and members of Congress or whatever right. who are better than the ones before and therefore may engage in. Right. But the system itself hopefully in a democracy holds people to account and if not the citizens do are people making oh i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry no i was gonna say are people making too big of a deal of the potential uh rift between prime minister netanyahu and president biden because i i can't i i would assume that's either media created or 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 left wingers in the media who want to call attention to something that i don't think is ever going to exist you agree with that there are even elements in the jewish community who whose uh comments and who uh, organizations and individual leaders are irresponsible and, you know, feeding the the hostile line because now they can say, oh, it's not uh, the extremists, the anti-Israel, the haters and stuff. Look, here's a statement by these organizations. Here's a statement by others that even when uh, McCarthy wants to hold, you know, and Omar and others to account for their anti-Israel statements, they get attacked. Right. And it's, uh, and, you know, it's, it's not representative, I think, of majority opinion. And people are entitled to their views, but I think this is, this is, it doesn't make much sense. And what is the message that is sent? And other organizations obviously came out in support of his intention. Uh, one can debate that you can say it's a good president, not a good president, but to, not to recognize what the, the purpose and the motivation is. And let alone when, you know, uh, people 
are, are engaged in the kinds of, of rhetoric, and there are some very interesting analyses about um, showing that the American community... Uh, one second, I apologize. Hang on. One moment. Sorry about that, Malcolm. That was my fault. You were saying the American community. Still remains in... Well, of course it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it my fault? Is the phone's fault? No, it's your fault. Could have been your fault, so, no? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was just saying that there was a, a thing uh, released by... Uh, by not a right-wing group, the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values, and it showed that Israel sympathizers outnumber Palestinian sympathizers by two to one, and support for Israel is three to one, even amongst boomers, that um, uh, the support was four to one. So, and as people, you know, people look at the young people as they get older and, and learn more of the facts, they, they tend to come back. This can be, be an act of rebellion. I don't dismiss it. I think it's something we have to always be sensitive to. But the, the ginning up of this thing, of saying, well, this was going to alienate them and going and telling them it's anti-democratic and all of these things and the messages, you have to be responsible. Criticism is legitimate. You can have differences with Israel, with anybody, but think of the consequences of your words and how they'll be used by enemies who don't share even where there is a positive motivation all right i'm as i told you i'm already behind schedule but i, I can't leave you without uh, or, or have you leave us without um without the message uh, a lot of people are gathering with family and friends uh, over the next few days it's hanukkah after all beginning sunday night what should the message be to our children and grandchildren we overcame then we will overcome now that the lights of hanukkah should inspire us Look at them and understand how many attempts there were over the years to to destroy us. People should go and look at all the recent discoveries in Israel, which deal with the Hanukkah story and how it perpetuates and, and validates, even for the most skeptical, about the, the true story and finding uh, remarkable uh, evidence of it. But the message of Rabin Biat Ma'atim, Tameim Biat Tahorim, Rishon Biat Sadikim, that we overcame overwhelming odds, but it was over the pure, over the impure, the righteous over the wicked is happening today. We see it in the ingathering of the Jews, how Jews from Russia can come to Israel. We see uh, that they perpetuated Judaism throughout the years. We see in so many cases, ultimately, goodwill or will triumph. Unfortunately, we often have to pay a price for it, but we yeah. know that we have to be resolute and take the message from the Maccabees to today's battle against the Jew haters. Amazing. Malcolm, I thank you. Happy Hanukkah. We'll speak again next week. Thank you. There he is, Malcolm Honline, executive, excuse me, Malcolm Honline, vice chairman, conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update. We have a, a, an opportunity with our children and grandchildren this coming Sunday night through the entire week of Hanukkah, Shabbos, Hanukkah, Rosh Chodesh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to make an impact with our message. Um, listen to what Malcolm just said and internalize that and then transmit it uh, to your children and grandchildren. It's an important message uh, during this Hanukkah season, if you will.